Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. After an uphill battle, the Bring Chicago Home referendum heads to voters in March. It's a measure that would use funds from an increase in the real estate transfer tax on properties that sell for over $1 million to combat homelessness. But it's facing another challenge. Real estate interest groups have filed a suit to block it from appearing on the primary ballot. Plus, the city council will likely have to weigh in again on whether serious police officer misconduct cases can be handled in private. For the latest from City Hall, we sat down with WBEZ city government and politics reporters Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg. We started off by talking about the pushback against the Bring Chicago Home Ordinance and the reasoning behind it. Here's Mariah. Plaintiffs argue that, and they want a judge to to stop this question from appearing on the March ballot. Um, And as you said, this question would ask voters whether they support raising the real estate transfer tax on properties valued over a million dollars. That's when properties over a million dollars are sold. It's Mm -hmm. a one-time tax. And when properties are sold, should that tax increase so that that amount of money can go to fund homelessness prevention? And properties under one million dollars would see a tax cut. And in this lawsuit, the groups allege that the ballot language combines uh, too many questions, multiple questions, and that violates the Illinois Constitution and state law. They also accuse the city council of the practice of log rolling, um, which is when you pair unfavorable legislation with something that's more palatable to pass the unfavorable legislation, which they say is also in violation of state law. And so this is, um, you know, kind of a last ditch effort because we're heading into the referendum so soon by groups that have long opposed this proposal. Um, They've argued that the real estate transfer tax, it's not a stable source of income. It's not a stable source of revenue and that this would trickle down and, you know, create higher costs for renters. And so they oppose it for many reasons. And this is the latest effort to kind of stall and stop this. Well, how likely is it that this lawsuit would succeed? I mean, it's hard to say. I haven't I haven't researched particularly what types I mean, how successful these types of lawsuits are. Um, Proponents of the measure say that there was a similar lawsuit against the graduated income tax at the state level that failed a few years ago. Um, I think, you know, when you with any type of legislation, the last chance that you have to stop it is a lawsuit. And so it's it's not uncommon for these lawsuits to pop up. um, And, you know, it, it would be a big a big surprise yeah. if it doesn't if it didn't go forward. Well, Tessa, Mayor Johnson has said that this is a top priority of his, right? This brings Chicago home. So what's his response to this attempt to remove it from the ballot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, his administration expressed confidence that, you know, it, they're going to expect to see it on the ballot still. The city itself is actually so they're not, not. They're not shaking at all. No, they in a statement, you know, they said, you know, this is going to we expect it from to be on the ballot. You know, it's a much needed revenue source. Um, you know, they actually are not. The, the subject of the lawsuit. Um, the lawsuit's actually filed against um, the city's board of election commissioners who said in a statement after the lawsuit was filed that they're actually, they argue they're not the proper defendant, you know, that their job is just simply to 
put this on the ballot after it was passed by city council and certified and that really it's the city or city council that should be sued. Mm -hmm. Um, So to that point about how successful this might be, you know, we'll see if that, you know, complicates things of just, you know, more technically, you know, is this even filed against the right people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Brandon Johnson, he has announced that he's looking to wean the city's books off of TIF usage. Remind us what these TIFs are, tax increment financing. Sure. (laughs) And how, how does that all work? Um, Sure. So a TIF district is a district in the city that's been designated um, through state law and and the city, the Chicago City Council. And in a TIF district, property values, property taxes are frozen. The the amount of property taxes that go to um, taxing bodies like Chicago Public Schools, Chicago Libraries or the city of Chicago are frozen. But as property values rise, owners continue to pay in you know, increased property taxes. Mm-hmm. And that increment, that increase goes into a fund, a TIF fund, and that TIF fund is then used to pay for development projects within that area. So the city relies on this a lot. This is the main source of revenue for economic development in the city of Chicago. And it also is a huge supplemental source of revenue for affordable housing. So Tessa, why is the mayor then trying to wean the city off of those funds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though this has been such a major tool, it's very controversial. Um, There's been many that have been critical that this is, you know, diverting revenue from essential city services, public schools to private development. um, And also that many of the, you know, many of the TIFs are centered downtown and that, you know, while this is a a tool that's supposed to, you know, help redevelop areas, it's often going to areas that, you know, probably don't need, you know, these, the city funds to help support it. And that private developers would have already invested in, you know, those Mm. projects anyway. And so the mayor is proposing taking some of these expiring TIFs that are about to expire, dozens of them are going to go offline in the next few years and then taking some of that revenue that will be released to help the city borrow uh, pay for borrowing over one billion dollars to go towards um, putting that then money towards affordable housing you know economic development um, and you know this would be a really a major shift in how the city you know pays for these developments starting to wean the city off of TIFs mm-hmm. uh, but the mayor's office also hasn't formally released a plan yet so there's a lot of I think unanswered questions about you know what this will really look like in specifics yeah. you know how projects might be chosen with these funds and you know it sounds like a lot of shifting and just moving things around, right? It's all there and we're just moving it around, right? What is this going to look like in real time to us, right? And to residents, how will we see this happening? Well, I imagine what the mayor is going to say when he announces this plan is that the shift is, is instead of TIF districts, which are, you know, distributed wherever they are passed throughout the city and TIF districts are most successful in areas where property values are rising because that means you're going to generate the most revenue and property values, areas where property values are rising aren't necessarily the areas of the city in need of development. And so I think what Johnson is going to say when he announces this is that a general fund of $1.25 billion in in borrowed money will allow the city to more evenly and equitably distribute those funds to affordable housings throughout housing projects throughout the city where they won't necessarily be um, dictated by where TIF districts are. And so what residents will see, I think, or what Johnson says residents, Johnson will say residents will see is a more equitable distribution of affordable housing projects throughout the city. And that, you know, leads to uh, lower rent prices for people, less homelessness and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, Mariah, sticking with you for a moment, because you've been following uh, a separate decision here. This this one could impact how public police misconduct cases could be handled. Tell us more. 
So currently, the most serious police misconduct cases are handled by the Chicago Police Board, which historically has been a mayoral appointed board. It's now an elected board. Um, and recently, an arbitrator ruled that those serious police misconduct cases can actually be handled in private, not in a public hearing by the police board, but instead in private by an arbitrator. And that state law requires that the city allow police officers who have been accused of serious misconduct to settle or appeal those cases with an arbitrator behind closed doors. The city council rejected that ruling last month and and said, no, these cases are going to continue to be handled in public where decisions are public and rulings are public by the police board, mm -hmm. not by an arbitrator. Um, but this is likely going to lead to a court battle by the main union representing police officers in the city who are pushing for these cases to have the ability to be handled by an arbitrator. So what is the the argument there for, for it to be handled privately? What, what are the advantages? So the arbitrator who ruled on this matter cites the Illinois Public Relations Act. Um, it's a law that requires police union contracts to include arbitration for appeals of discipline decisions. Um, that law ties the right to arbitration to a state prohibition on cops going on strike. Um, basically, you know, when when a, a case is handled behind closed doors by an arbitrator, um, the cases are more favorably decided in police officers' favor. Yeah. Um, whereas on when they're handled by the police board in public, um, in I think around 60% of cases, according to WBEZ analysis, the cop is fired. Mm. Um, and so... You know, I think it suits the police union to be, uh, you know, pursuing an avenue that allows that allows police officers to have their misconduct cases handled um, by a private. And then arbitrator. you can see why city council wants this handled differently, right? Yeah, or it's it, or not handled differently. Right, handled by the continue to be handled by the police board in in a public in setting. a public setting. Uh, Mayor Johnson recently appointed Lisette Castaneda to serve as housing commissioner. I saw that news come out this week, Tessa. Who is she? What do we know? Yeah, so she is the executive director of Lucha, which is a uh, HUD-approved housing counseling agency, um, you know, housing development organization, and they have own and operate um, a couple different affordable rental units, several hundred in areas like Humboldt Park and Logan Square and West Town. So she's really involved in the work around affordable housing and especially through, you know, racial equity lens and making that affordable to residents. Um, you know, we haven't yet heard from her, so it's hard to know what exactly maybe her priorities will be in this new role, but she's already signaled that spearheading, you know, new housing developments is a priority of hers and has talked about affordable housing, you know, how it's a, a cornerstone of everything you can have a community from, you know, economic development to mental yeah. health and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw very little from her on that press release, and I, I wondered if we had heard any more from her yet. But I guess not yet because she's not official official. Is that right? Yeah, right. so um, this is, you know, Mayor Johnson announcing his pick, and then she will have to go before city council members um, through a committee hearing and then ultimately be approved by the full city council and be confirmed. Just today even we saw um, Johnson's pick for the new commissioner for Department of Planning and Development. She was heard before uh, oh, city council that? committee, um, Siri Boatwright. And um, so this is really, you know, just more of Johnson's, you know, finally filling out his cabinet. He's, you know, pe people have noted he's filled it out at a much slower pace compared to his predecessors mm -hmm. who, you know, right off the bat had many of those picks announced. That's and right. so now, you know, 
to late December, we're finally seeing some more of those kind of right, roll out. Since so. May. <laughs> we're just getting some picks. Um, any idea how Castaneda got on his radar? Um, I think just based on her organizing work mm -hmm. in the city and one, as Tessa said, a main priority for Johnson is addressing the gap in affordable housing. Um, you know, the city estimates there are about 100,000 units short in terms of demand for affordable housing mm -hmm. in the city of Chicago. And so having come from an organization that has worked on affordable housing and has several units throughout the city, I'd imagine that is, you know, that was an attractive Quality for Johnson. Yeah. Well, I, I know you are very, very busy <laughs> politics reporters. So give us an idea of some other stories that you're following over the next week. You first, Tessa. Yeah. Um, you know, the city's first, you know, deadline basically for migrants who are going to be having to leave city shelters after 60 days, that's going to start rolling out next week. So we'll really see how this new policy is going to impact people. I think, you know, we've already been seeing how even though the city has moved towards things like, you know, prioritizing a landing zone and moving away from police stations. You know, there's the Sun-Times, Block Club Chicago have all been doing great reporting about how folks, you know, are now just sleeping on buses at the landing zone and how yeah. it's really just maybe shifting things around. So I think that'll be a continued topic we'll be pursuing. Oh, yeah, for sure. What yeah, about you, Mariah? Definitely that story. And also, I know we talked about, you know, this plan um, to borrow $1.25 billion. We haven't seen the details of that plan come out yet. And this is going to be one of Johnson's first, like, massive city plans um, and proposals that we'll see from him. And so digging into that sometime in the next month when it comes out. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there. Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg are WBEZ city government and politics reporters. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks. This episode of Reset was produced by Brenda Ruiz and edited by Linnea Dominic. Each week we get an update from our WBEC colleagues covering City Hall. And we host a wide variety of interviews featuring journalists, experts, and listeners like you about news and culture in Chicago and around the area. Stay up to date by signing up for Reset's newsletter at wbez.org slash Reset News. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.